Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. Kevin Roth began to play the dulcimer in 1972 at the age of 13, and at 16 recorded his first album for Folkways, Smithsonian Folkways Records, which immediately launched him into international fame. More recently, a cancer diagnosis he was not expected to survive caused him to reevaluate his life and choose to survive and thrive. Kevin now teaches the techniques he used to make big changes in his life to others as a life coach who has also developed a form of dulcimer-based meditation. We talk about what happens to us on the search for happiness, why we seem to get stuck so easily despite that quest, and how to focus on what feels good and let it inform the dreams we want to pursue. Kevin also treats us to some dulcimer playing. Here's my conversation with Kevin Roth. Kevin, welcome to Follow Your Curiosity. I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. So the question that I start everyone off with is, were you a creative kid or is this something that you came to later on in your life? I was a creative kid. I um, was playing the piano by ear, I think as early as three. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I was born creative and uh, sort of a spiritual searcher all in one. Even when you were three? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, before I was born, my mother had her tubes tied and then I was born. So, yeah, there's something weird about <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so from playing the piano by ear at three, how did that progress? Well, I continued to play the piano, and at the age of eight, I became very interested in Peter, Paul, and Mary, the folk music group, and had a real passion for them. And then when I was 13, I saw my first mountain dulcimer and got one. And then about two years later, I had my first record deal with Folkway Records. So then I've just been creating music. I have 50 albums. My whole music career, if you looked at uh, www.kevinroth.com or Google me or something, you'll you'll see my whole 50-year music career. So it started young and keeps going. Did you have any kind of pushback from your parents about that, or were they totally supportive the whole way or somewhere in between? Interestingly enough, um, I had a lot of problems as a kid because I had ADD and ADHD and I was gay and all this other stuff. So there was a lot of um, things that were unpleasant in my life. But the one thing I was always supported for was my music because, you know, it was like, oh, look at our little child prodigy and he could play. The only other time I had pushback was when I first bought a dulcimer and my father didn't know what it was and demanded that I take it back to the store and get my hundred dollars back, which of course I didn't. And um, as they say, the rest is history, (laughs) but the music also led into what I do now, which is being a personal coach using music. So it continues to evolve. So when you got a record deal at 18, 20, how, how did that look versus how you expected it to look? Well, I was 15. And it was sort of a dream come true. You know, I'm writing this book now called The Longing. And it's about making things happen, which is what I teach about. One of my patterns in life was to create this experience, this dream, know it with clarity, have passion for it, and then just act like it's already happened. Uh, It's never one, two, three, but that's how I've always operated in my life. I don't do anything kind of logically. I go with my gut, and I find out where the dream lives and crawl into it, and then it happens. It materializes. So that's what I teach people to do. So I can hear people in my head saying, 
What do you mean you act like it's already happened? If you don't have a million dollars, you can't run around spending money like you have a million dollars. How does how does that work? Well, you have to be realistic. You can't say I want a million dollars and spend every nickel that falls into your lap on junk. You have to see the vision of something realistic, like I don't want to be in debt any longer. I want to create a job that I love that brings in an income, which is really satisfying. So you'll need to make adjustments. You'll need to not live in a $2,500 a month apartment and downsize. You won't have a Mercedes Benz. You'll have a Honda. And you'll do things that you don't need anyway. But once you begin to see, ah, I now have extra money. I'm moving towards this dream of my own business. This is great. It catches momentum. So I said early on, I wanted a major record deal. I wanted a TV show. I wanted to be a millionaire. I wanted all of this stuff. And I got all of it. It took many years to get there. And the real reason that anybody wants anything is just one reason. Everyone wants to be happy. But we don't know what happiness is. So I thought that if I had fame and fortune, I'd be happy. Well, that didn't work out. I thought, oh, now that I'm in love, I'll be happy. Well, that worked out for a little while until that balloon got busted. So my whole life and most people's lives are centered around following the desires, but not being happy doing it. Uh, if you know what you really, really want, which I help you discover as a life coach, it's very attainable if you do it simply. And that's the trick. That's the, that's the special sauce in the whole spiritual creative thing is is you have to keep it simple and do what you love so if you're if you're an artist and you don't have any money coming in because you can't get a gallery to show your work forget the galleries there's six thousand other places you can sell your art you can go to farmers markets you can go to art studios and network you can sell it online. I know artists that are doing better on Etsy than they were, you know, when everything was happening. So your desires have to overshadow your fears and what society tells you will work or won't work. You have to create your own dream and you have to find out where it lives and crawl into it and just do it. So you mentioned that you thought that fame and fortune would make you happy and didn't. And I think a lot of people think that that is something that will make them happy. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you discovered about it that changed your mind. Well, you know, when you have a little bit of fame, um, you're treated very well, you know, um, and when you have uh, a lot of money, you can buy nice things. But what's going to make you happy? So the first thing is your health. So with as much money as Steve Jobs had, he couldn't buy his way out of cancer. What causes cancer? They'll tell you stress and inflammation. Now, no one can convince me that Steve Jobs did not have stress. You can't be in that position without stress. So you need to look at that and you need to say, what do I really need? Do I need a five bedroom house? Do I need a Mercedes? You know, I have a Jeep. I love it. Um, and uh, I don't have as much money as I once had, but then again, I live very simply, so I don't need as much money. Fame and fortune um, is really an illusion. It all it, it like buys you a power, it buys you influence, it buys you things. But for what? What do you want it for? So I have a client that I work with who's very young and very, very rich. And I said, what are you going to do with all the money? Well, I'm going to make more money. Okay, well, what are you going to do with that? Well, I'm going to make more money. But you're not happy. 
right? You, you live in a tropical island and you talk about getting away. Where are you going to go? Everyone goes to where you are, you know? Um, so until you know it really makes you happy, uh, it's a very simple formula. And then whether you have money or you don't have money, um, you're, you're happy. And your life shifts. You know, one of the things that I teach is when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Um, so when you look at things differently, you know, I was doing a podcast with someone earlier today, and uh, she had such enthusiasm. I've never seen a pod. And she was new. And I normally don't do podcasts with people who are brand new because the audience size is not that big. Mm -hmm. But her enthusiasm just radiated through the computer. And I thought, this is a girl who's going to make it. There's nothing to stop her. I mean, she just had the enthusiasm and I was tickled by it. So she's created this success that isn't quite a success yet, but in her mind, it is. And everyone's excited about it because they pick up on it. So that's, it, you know, it's all a dream. It's all kind of a convoluted illusion. So that's, that's what it is. It took me a long time to find out what happiness was, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I eventually got there. I feel like the question that you asked a minute ago is a, a key part of, of that equation. And I, I don't know how your equation shook out yet, but I have to think that what's it all for mm -hmm. has to be a huge element in that. It is. So it comes down to who are you? You know, who are you? Um, there's the who are you in life? And then there's the who are you spiritually? So quantum physics and science tells you nothing exists. That's science. They tell you that the universe is expanding. Into what? Right? They say, oh, you know, it's all the mind. Mind causes me problems. It's true, but dissect the brain and you can't find anything called a mind. It's all ethereal. So when you start looking into that, and this gets into deeper conversations, you begin to realize that what we think is real isn't particularly real until we think it is real. Okay. So you have to really think, who am I? What does my heart want? What matters? Why does it matter? And what's the game plan to make it happen? COVID was a big wake up lesson for people because they said, you know what? I'm not going back into work. And I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. And people learn to recreate themselves. This Zoom thing, Zoomed with COVID, <laughs> right? Um, I love Zoom because I don't have to go anywhere. But uh, it, you have that, you know, I have a, um, I, I don't want to be making a commercial, but I have an online course on Teachable. And this is what I teach. You have to know what matters, why, and what the difference is. Where that came from, was that in 2016, I was diagnosed out of the blue with stage three melanoma and given a death sentence because there's no cure for that. And they said, although they removed uh, the two small spots where the cancer was, they said there was a 70% chance it would come back within a year and then I'd be dead within two or three. So, yeah, so, you know, when you go to take a blood test, you're, you're worried and you wait a week for the results and then you get the results and it's one way or the other. This was a year I had to wait. So I thought, you know, I'm living in Kansas at the time working on a project. I said, if you're going to really be dead in a couple of years, what do you want to do with, with the time left? So I had to discover what mattered. And it was my writing and my art. I hadn't become a personal coach yet. It was hanging out with my dog. And I thought, I'll go to California and live my bohemian fun lifestyle. There was no way on paper that I could afford to live in California because I was almost bankrupt based on a business that I had started. But I saw myself in California. I saw myself in an apartment with for a thousand dollars, which is unheard of here. Yeah. And I saw myself creating music, uh, losing 30 pounds, which I did and just kind of, you know, doing what I wanted. And I found the apartment 
and I created the life. It wasn't easy, but uh, I was here for a few years figuring it out. And then I became a life coach when someone said, you know, you ought to teach people what you did because it's like remarkable. And I never thought about it. I didn't even know what a life coach was. And they said, yeah, and you should use your dulcimer, you know, to teach people a little meditation and just tell people what you did, what you discovered. So, you know, I'm, I'm writing this book and today I was writing a chapter and I was saying that everything I discovered had already been written about by people like Napoleon Hill and all these woo-woo writers. And I thought, gee, you know, if you had just learned, read those books in your 20s, you wouldn't <laughs> have to go through all this. And I thought that's entirely wrong because there's book knowledge and there's street knowledge. And finding those books later in my life confirmed that's exactly what I did, which is good for me and my clients because I can say, this is what I do. This is how you do it. And I'll work with you, with your thinking to change it and to move from where you are to where you want to be. So, and that's a very creative process. Sure. Very, very creative process. That's why I love working with individual people on this. Yeah. Well, and I'm wondering, you know, when you talk about those books, some of which have been around for about a hundred years now, yeah. do you think if you had encountered them before you got that diagnosis, that you would have understood what they were trying to say? No, because I glanced them. You know, Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, Oprah, all these woo-woo people have been around for a really long time. But I, even though I may have read the books or watched the PBS shows, it was like, oh, yeah. Uh, I had to hit bottom before I woke up. Like I say, there's nothing like a death sentence to wake you up. So I had to figure out uh, why was I born? Where am I going when I die? And what, you know, what am I going to do in, in, the, in the midterm? And I got very clear through a lot of uh, down the rabbit hole work. Sure. I, I mean, who would have thought that? I mean, cancer was something that happened to everybody else. It would never happen to me. I didn't smoke. That's what we all think, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and it was the it was a spiritual wake up call that I needed. And now, you know, I'm more successful than I even I was in my music career, based on how I how I work as a as a. I don't even like the word coach, but as I work as a, I call it really a creative life designer. Yeah. Well, and and I'm wondering, you know. Because I do think that a lot of us need that kind of moment, that that distinct moment of a wake-up call in order to comprehend that, hey, your time here is not infinite, and if you, there's stuff you want to do, you might want to get with that. But I also am thinking back to your, your earlier comment about, you know, figuring out what matters. And like, how is it that we lose track so easily of what matters or do we even really understand what matters you know as kids and young adults well that's a great question um the first thing i do with a client is i find out what they don't want they don't want stress they don't want to be in debt they don't want to be overweight whatever it is then we discover well what do you want we know you want to get rid of those things so how badly do you want to get rid of those things? How are those things affecting your life? Um, and then we go through, the, I take them through the process of, if you were uh, 30 pounds lighter, how do you feel in your head? How do you look? Are you off medication? So we establish the why you want to lose it, because we've all been on a thousand diets. Diets don't work. It's not about the food. If you go into a doctor's office and he says to you, um, you're right on the edge of a heart attack. And if you want to leave a wife and two kids behind as a young father, go ahead. But you better change. Well, that would hopefully scare the shit out of you enough to change. The problem is, is that we think that 
it's too hard. But it's not. Staying where we are is hard. So this comes into mindful awareness. You have to be aware of what you want and what you don't want. And when you change what doesn't work in your life with what does work, you never go back to it. So I have a relative, and every time she calls, I don't answer the phone. I see it's her, and I don't answer the phone. I'll eventually call her back because I realize that every time she talks to me, she's passive-aggressive, and she causes stress. So I thought, I don't need this. So I stopped answering the phone. Well, that took a big chunk of <laughs> problems out of my life. You know, instead of thinking, well, I should talk to her and I should deal with it. You can't fix people, but you can change the way you do things, the way you think about things. So once you get a taste of that, it's wonderful. You know, I had a clients that uh, were very concerned about finances. And I said, what do you need a five-bedroom house for? Your kids are gone. Well, we have memories here. You know, we have our kids. I said, your kids are grown. Why don't you ask them, can you move into a condo? And they finally did. And the kids said, yeah, I don't know why you're in this house paying for all this heat. You know, we'll, you know, put our little bunnies in a box and give it to us. You know, And it completely freed them up. So we get hung up on what we think is difficult. But when we change to doing the things that we want, it's easy. You said a minute ago that it's harder to stay the same than it is to change. It is uh, when you don't like what you're doing. So one of my go-tos, everyone should have a go-to of what they like to do is hiking. So when I'm aware that I'm stressed out or getting anxious about something, I'll go hiking. Because everything is the mind. You know, the mind may say, well, I'm stressed out about, uh, it's going to be 98 degrees here in San Diego tomorrow. It's like 70 today. I'm stressed out about putting the air conditioner on and the electric costs and, oh, it's going to be so hot. I have to stop that. I have to say, you have no idea how hot it's going to be because you're in a new apartment and you have a, uh, an air conditioner and you're 64 and you've been through 100 degrees heat many, many times. So, you know, stop. <laughs> and it becomes funny. It, life becomes very, very comical. So I don't stay where it's uncomfortable because I have options. And I have options because I discovered when I had the cancer that I don't need a new record deal. I don't need a new tour. I don't need new money. I don't need somebody else. I like my dog. I like my music. And I began to like myself. You know, I, uh, I discovered that I was my own best friend by walking through my apartment after I hung up the phone from my oncologist saying, I've got really bad news. And I said, out loud, don't worry, buddy, we'll get through this. And at first I thought, who are you talking to? And I was talking to myself. So it's interesting, isn't it? It is because, you know, first of all, most of us don't think of ourselves as really anyone in particular as part of our lives. You know, we, we have our friends and our family and where do we land in there? And we hear about self-love and self-compassion and self-care and things like that, but a lot of us just blow it off. But also when you mentioned that you don't stay anywhere uncomfortable, I think there are a lot of people who are actually comfortable in that level of discomfort. There's something yeah. there that either just because it's familiar or because there's some benefit to staying there and yeah. therefore you know the easier thing seems to be okay i'll keep putting up with this because i know what the rules are i've got great health insurance you know what whatever the the benefit is and yet it doesn't make any logical sense at all well there's there is a place for you know joni mitchell has a great line there's comfort and melancholy Mm. You know, so there, and there is, you know, no one is going to be happy all the time. It's just not realistic. What keeps us where we are uncomfortable is fear. So fear is false evidence appearing real. So here's a great example. If you're in a really bad mood 
and the world is about to end and suddenly the phone rings and it's a friend you haven't heard from for years. Suddenly you go from, hey, how are you? What's going on? What happened to the big thing that you were about to hang yourself over? The same thing happens with the mind in the sense that if I ask you or your audience to imagine sucking on a lemon right now, you're going to feel like you're salivating, right? But there's no lemon. So everything is the mind. When you learn to work with the mind, you get lighter in life. The trick to that is that you have to be very forgiving with yourself and the mind because the mind is nothing but a baby. And babies cry. They, they, they just cry. So you have to stop beating yourself up and saying, oh, I, I don't know. I'll just start my diet again on Monday. Just say, look, I'm really miserable and I'm eating emotionally because I don't like my job. Then look for another job. Oh, it's so hard. It's not hard. Get on Google and just Google until you find something. And then that gives you hope. And then that something turns to something, which turns to something, which turns to something. Because I was in the music business for so many years, I know that that's how it works. And I know that because I work with clients who say, oh, my God, you know, this is so difficult, whatever their situation is. And I say, okay, let's look at it differently. You know, if you didn't do this and you did that, which is what you want to do, how do you think you'd feel? Well, happier. Okay. So why, when you're going to move from house to house, are you going to bring 200 books when you're really only going to read 10 of them over again? Well, yeah, but my kids grew up with them. You know, stop. Don't do that to yourself. If you really want the books, they're online. And then they take 10 books and they give the books to a library and they get a write-off and they say, oh, my God, I feel so much freer. (laughs) So that's what happens. That's what happens. Well, and I wonder, too, you know, how much of the time we say that something's hard, not because we know that it's hard because usually we don't, but because a, it's a habit that we feel like, Oh, you know, this is what I've always said. I've always thought that this was going to be hard, but also, you know, it's the idea of changing that sounds hard, not the actual act of, figuring out which books to keep or going and looking for another job. It's, it's change that scares us. Yeah. So what happens is you, you, your mind takes something and throws it and everything goes splat. So instead of you wanting to lose weight, let's say, uh, and there's a a thousand different things that you can do. I can, I could do this, 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 and this, but I don't want to do this, 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 and this. Pull it together. And the first thing you want to ask yourself is, why do I want to lose weight? I don't have to be thin looking anymore. Thin is not even in, right? Thin, thin even is. So why do I, will I feel better? Is it worth changing what I eat? Am I going to feel deprived? Well, yes, because dieting is deprivation. Then don't be deprived. Make a list of the foods you want. Have them, but make sure that they make sense. It's not that you can't have a piece of chocolate. Allow yourself a chocolate, but a little bit. That way you get what you want. You know, because I've helped a lot of clients lose weight. So I I know the process with intermittent fasting and eating. You know, that's how I lost weight is I didn't really deny myself anything. Um, But when I saw that donut and I wanted it out of habit, I asked myself, do you want to eat it? Do you want to wear it? What do you want to do? <laughs> and sometimes I said, I want to wear it. And then I, I buy the donut, eat half of it, throw the other half out. And that way I'm never denied anything. Um, so it comes down to really what do you want? What do you really want? What does your heart want? And like I said in the beginning, everybody wants one thing, and that's to be happy. So uh, our mind is like a monkey. You know, you just have to control it a little bit and move forward and then say, that felt good. I do feel better not just getting a slice of pizza, not that whole pie. I feel like I won. And then you start to realize by doing this, you're more successful and you feel better. And by doing that, you don't. 
And don't look for perfection. There's no such thing. Oh, yeah. Perfection's an illusion. Yeah. But well, I think that, really, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> but I think there's, there's a lot of merit to the idea of how does it feel as a compass? You know, I feel better when I've done this, even though, you know, there's this part of me that still wants that half of the donut that I just threw away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, simple, it's, well, you know, the saying, keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. Everything is just very simple. You either like it or you don't like it. Um, and you have to stick to what you like, what feels good. And if you're not sure or you're not sure how to work that, then you either get professional help or you contact a coach like myself who who works you through it. Um, but you don't have to stay where you are. You know, I, I was talking to someone today who has a drug problem. I, I just literally met him and I said, well, you know, you can go get help for that. And he said, if only I could believe that. And I said, well, that's why they have, you know, AA and all those other things. Yeah, but they don't work. So I said, okay. So eventually something will happen one way or the other. And like many of the people I know and hundreds of thousands of people are alcoholics and they no longer drink. So it's, it's, it's a process of saying, um, I want to feel good. I want to feel happy or I want to be more creative or I want to get my creativity out. You know, uh, it's the limited belief that works against you. And it's simply not true. It really just isn't true. Yeah. And we all have them. I think the challenge is realizing which ones are holding us back and aren't true and which ones, you know, are the things that make you feel good. I feel like there's, there's so much habituation to the idea that, yeah, I want to be happy, but that's not ever going to happen. And that it keeps us stuck. Yes. Uh, and there are ways around everything, you know, here in California, um, I live near the ocean and there's one spot along the ocean that are cliffs and there are multi-million dollar homes across the street that look out on the cliffs and the oceans. Just really wonderful. They're called sunset cliffs. And then right by the cliffs, there's a street and along the street, all these hippies, they park their vans and they open up their doors and they take their laptops out and they're looking at the ocean. The same thing that multi-million dollar people <laughs> are doing here. Now, of course, they don't have a shower there. But they spend all day long there. They have surfboards. And they get what they want in an innovative, simple style. And it's really kind of funny, you know. Um, so it depends what you want and, and, and how badly you, you, you kind of want it. You know, um, but you have to stay true to who you are. I think one of the reasons that someone was asking me last night um, why I'm a successful coach, and that's because I'm completely authentic. I, I teach from experience. I didn't go to coaching school. I don't have a coaching degree. I talk about what did I do that worked. And then with working with clients, I found out that those things worked for them too. So whatever you choose to do, be authentic with it. Uh, You know, again, it's simplicity. Yeah. And yet there's so much fear around what will happen if we're authentic. It's that vulnerability element that scares the heck out of people. Yeah. So, you know, that's a big illusion too, because what we think people are thinking, they're generally not. (laughs) You know, that is so like, true. Like my father, this is so funny. Years ago, uh, I took him to a restaurant where they had drag queens. And he turned to me and he, I still laugh when I think about that. He said, you see, why can't you find a girl? Look at her. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, if you only knew, so, you know, sometimes you, you think that people are thinking this about you. Some, you know, I thought that when I was 64, that, you know, I'd be old, fat, and kind of ugly, you know. 
And I guess, I don't know if it's the earrings or the California thing, but I, you know, people give me more compliments now being a daddy kind of deal than they did when I was in my twenties. You know, I thought that's never going to happen. But then there's another way of thinking as well. I had three oncologists tell me I'd be dead. That was seven years ago. I didn't believe them. I said, you're wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to do this instead. They said, well, you're going to be making a big mistake. And then I found an oncologist who agreed with me and said, I think that might be the way to go for you and let's see what happens. So it's not just other people's projection of you. It's the projection that you have of yourself. Both are an illusion. So you might as well just uh, have some fun and play with it. How much do you credit the fact that you decided to figure out what you really wanted and follow that compass of what I like and what's making me happy with your recovery? Everything. Um, If I believed, you know, I remember walking into the first oncologist's office and there were people in the waiting room that looked like death, like death's door. Wait. And I said, I am not. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not doing that. I don't know what they're doing. Chemo. I am not doing that. No, I'm going to go out. If I'm going to go out dead, I'm going to go out in California, smoke in a joint and let them find me. I am not doing this. And I was very clear. I was not that. Um, in the end, you know, whatever God decides is what happens, but your attitude just determines a lot. And you have to then go back to understanding what you want to do so if my attitude is um you know uh, i am never going to be able to afford a house in california i'm never going to be i don't have that kind of money that's a limiting belief okay i've created over a million dollars so when i began to tell myself that i said kevin do you want a house in california And I thought, I don't think I do because there's taxes and there's repairs. And I said, then, then keep quiet and keep renting, (laughs) you know? So I go back into what matters. Why do I want a house in California? I've had many homes and I thought, well, it'll feel like I'm successful. And I said, well, that's bullshit. You know that. So, you know, right now you haven't found a place, but if you really do want a house, It doesn't matter what they cost, you'll find one and it'll be the right price. The reason I know that is because that's how life plays out. The universe will work with you as long as you give it direction. Can you give us more about that? Yeah, that comes back down to what I teach. You have to know who you are and what you want. So if you're a creative person uh, and you want to become a uh, a musician for a living uh, which is a very difficult thing to do you're going to need a job to start with there's nothing to keep you back so you have to decide i want to be a musician well what kind well i want to be a guitar player or a dulcimer player okay well there's six million of those so what can you do to make yourself stand out well i want to learn to play the guitar with my feet because there are actually people with arms that don't play guitar you know they use their feet well, that would make you turn, you know, or, or I want to create a guitar with 10 strings instead of six strings. Well, go find a builder that can build that. Make a YouTube video, get the word out, network, and eventually you have an audience. But you have to want it enough and feel it. That's the word is to feel it. You have to feel that you have lost that weight, that you are that creative person, that you are a successful coach, you know, um, whatever it is that, that, that you want to do, what is it that I want to do? And why do I want to do it? Do I need a couple million dollars? I don't, you know, um, you certainly need money to live, but where do you want to live? What do you want to do with it? Uh, you know, life isn't a dress rehearsal. There are people who work their whole lives, turn 70 ish, paint the house, fix the fence, go see the grandkids, and four years later, drop dead. So life ain't a dress rehearsal. Try and do something that you like. If you have a job, find a job that is at least in alignment 
with with what you like to do you know um and keep your intention on that and imagine it that it's already happened and that's how it works and i think that has to eliminate a lot of that same stress that turns up in physical ailments and things like that too which just to be clear i'm not saying that you can think yourself out of of illness by definition i think different people's experiences are different and you know medicine exists for a reason but at the same time i think that if you are looking at a situation and all you can see is what you hate about it that's going to have a different reaction inside you than if you're yeah. focused on well i don't particularly love this but I want to go do this other thing and I'm going to focus all my energy on that because I love it. That's a, a totally different combination of, you know, hormones and things that will react differently inside your body. Yeah. You know, there is a lot of truth to the mind body connection. There's the study of epigenetics, thousands of studies done on placebo pills that doctors give to people and the same amount of people that get the placebo or more, feel better than the people who took the pills. Um, but there's also a lot of lessons in rough roads like cancer or, um, you know, I was recently, uh, I had a stomach something or another for a month, which is a long time for me. And it made me reflect what brought this on, what's keeping it. And when this finally goes away, which it did, what happened to make it leave and i don't know where i got it it may have just been airborne uh i wasn't under particular amount of stress because i don't do a lot of stress but there's a lesson that we learn from everything and usually it's on hindsight but if we can learn from it um we should and and learn those lessons uh, and apply them and and then and then that helps. Uh, no one. Well, I can't say no one can prevent cancer. What's going to happen is going to happen. It's how you deal with it when it does happen that that makes the difference. Because yeah. you know, there's, there's a saying, um, you know, in the end everything works out, and if it hasn't worked out, it's not the end, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think sometimes you know we overlook body wisdom too. You know, yeah. I think sometimes body's trying to tell you it's time to change something yes and you're just like doctor give me a pill to take care of this and that's yeah. not what your body's trying to tell you to do yeah you have to trust your gut you know, life is very subtle but fun if yeah you, you know again it comes back to the mind and keeping things simple you know most people cannot sit and have a cup of coffee without checking their cell phone or their their computer most, most people don't know how to be. The reason I love hiking is because there's nothing there but me and nature. So it, it's important to just learn to be. Yeah, that's a such a lost art in the 21st century. And it's free. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, we can't even avoid looking at our phones while we're standing in the checkout line at the grocery store. Because heaven forbid we should be bored for 30 seconds. Right. And, you know, I'm as guilty of that as anybody else. Right. And I, I feel like, like, yeah, it's, it's something that we're losing and I don't think it does us any good. There's something to be said for being bored, being in that moment, even if you are bored. And if you are bored, you know, take a look around. There's, I mean, if you're standing in the checkout line at the grocery store, what kind of fascinating people are standing there near you? And even if you don't know exactly what's fascinating about them, it can be fun just to imagine, ooh, I think that person is an orchestra conductor. Or, you know, this person is an airline pilot who is between flights and is eager to get home and see his wife for the first time in three weeks. You know, I, I mean, you could come up with all sorts of things and it's such a, it's a creative opportunity that we miss. Yeah, and there's also the inner voice that will always talk to you if you keep quiet enough to listen. And yeah, we don't know how to do that either. <laughs> well, I do, and I teach that, but yeah. And do I you have any? To do, that. Mm -hmm. do you have any tips for anybody who's never done that before? How to tune into that voice? 
Uh, well, I teach Dulce meditation. Uh, if anyone wanted to learn that, and if you don't have a dulcimer, you, you can get one from me. They're not that expensive and they're not hard to play. Without it, you just get a cup of whatever you want to drink and sit down and take a couple deep breaths. In fact, on my website, I have a stress buster free video. So if you go to kevinroth.org, um, you can get that. And you, that takes you maybe three to four minutes. And then you just ask yourself, your inner voice, what do I need to know? And then listen. And, and then it's there. It's always there. It's a matter of just keeping your mind quiet. So it starts with the intention. The breathing exercise, which is very simple that I teach, uh, you can learn very quickly. And like I said, I put it up there for free. So, uh, and that'll get you relaxed enough to at least go, okay, let me taste the coffee this time. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, and now I'm curious about Dulce meditation. Mm -hmm. So the dulcimer is American folk instrument and, uh, it has just the diatonic strings. This is a dulcimer here. And the, the strings are um, just really simple. So, and, it, and it's very pretty. You just put it on your lap and you can just do something very simple like. And you do a little bit of deep breathing with it. And this acts like a lullaby to a baby in a crib. So the mind is no longer agitated. It's listening to you create this, which is just really simple, really easy to learn to do. And then you can say, okay, what do I need to know? So you're really just lullabying your mind while you're playing an, an instrument. If someone says, well, I don't have any talent. Well, you don't need any. There, there's an old saying, there ain't no notes on a dulcimer. You just play it. <laughs> and, and of course, I teach this online and Zoom. I teach this all over the world to people and sell dulcimers too. Uh, it's easier than a guitar because you have to, there's more frets and notes on a guitar. It's easier than a piano. It's uh, sort of like playing the xylophone without striking it. I love the idea of, of lulling your mind into a quiet enough space that you can really hear yourself. It's, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it gets, it's all the mind. Yeah. Yeah. So you have plenty of people all over the world who have learned how to do this because it's great. Yeah. Well, I've been playing dulcimer for 50 years. I started to come up with dulcy meditation officially uh, two or three years ago. So there are people who play dulcimer that hear about it or see a YouTube video of me demonstrating it. And then they contact me and they say, you know, can I get a dulcimer? And uh, can I take lessons? And there's like four lessons, very, very simple. And I teach you how to, how to play it. Or sometimes people have a dulcimer and I just do that. But I also, it's not just the playing. The playing will take you to the process of what, what, what do I want? You know, what, what is my mind telling me to do? Well, you should rest, you should hike, you should uh, think about dinner, whatever it is that you need to think about. I had a client who had a lot of trouble with her teenage son and they were arguing and, and all kinds of stuff. And I had her do dulcy meditation on what to do. And what came to her was do nothing, ask him what he wants and just keep listening and it will resolve. And she did. And it resolved. She would have never gotten there without dulcy meditation or maybe going to a therapist. Uh, because the mind, the ego says, I'm right. I'm the mother. You're wrong. This way she backed off and she said, what do you want? And he said, well, I want this. And she said, well, okay. Uh, don't, I think that might do you more harm than good, but let's come close to that and I'll help you get there. So it's, it's a difference in the, uh, in the approach, but then I take it further and then I teach, if you go beyond the four weeks, then I teach why were you 
participating in in an angry situation with your son for years. What is that power struggle about? So as a life coach, you know, we can dig into that. It could be anything. It could be that, you know, her parents never gave her room to be anything. It could be uh, all kinds of things that once you discover it, it it's it's fixed. It's like trying to get rid of weeds by mowing them. You're not going to do it. You need to pull it up by the roots. And that's what life that's what a good life coach does is I is at least the way I work is I go in and I find out who the person is with them and what do they want and what's not working in their life and how can we get it to work. And it's it's a fun and enjoyable process. It's it's not a burden. Uh, so I always say that you know my clients come to me at the beginning of sessions with a heaviness in their face, and when we're done, they're smiling, you know, and they always feel better, which is how it should work. <laughs> Indeed, and and I'm also fascinated that the answer in this particular case was do nothing. You know, I think we forget that doing nothing is an option. You know, the we've got the whole cultural message that says you must always do something you know you must always be fixing the thing you must always be efforting somehow when really the answer might be you don't know what to do because there's nothing to do right now yeah or there may be uh you need to really get this kid into serious therapy maybe if that was the situation in this case it wasn't but again it comes back to what will give you the most happiness what will give you peace and arguing with his son wasn't going to do it because it didn't get her anywhere. So she was advised through her own wisdom to stop. You know, you lay the guns down, there's no war. Yeah. And then she learned that lesson. She used it with her husband. <laughs> I kidded her. I said, your husband owes me a box of champagne. <laughs> yeah. I think, and, 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 you know, as you point out, it's her own wisdom. And I think that, you know, we, we forget that we have our own wisdom. A lot of us are so busy looking for it from friends, neighbors, books, Oprah, whatever. It's like, no, there's something inside you that knows a lot too. You just have to give it a chance to come out and talk to you. Yeah, we're like fish in the ocean looking for water. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Oprah and the self-help books are good as pointers. but the big learning is reading yourself and, and understanding that you can and how to do it, which is why I love being a coach is I teach people how I did it with the cancer and how I got my life on track because I didn't have a choice. Well, I could have chosen just to lay down and said, okay, you know, I'll be part of, you know, you either get busy living or you get busy dying. So I chose an alternative version of living. Yeah, well, and it's great if you can, you know, provide other people with that kind of insight without them having to get to that point where they're suddenly staring down, you know, some kind of situation, whether it's a terminal diagnosis or some, you know, losing their, their house or whatever it might be that would push them to it otherwise. It's great yeah. to be able to say, okay, I went through this and this is what I learned so that you don't have to go through that. Yeah. You know, a friend of mine asked me, he says, don't you get exhausted talking to your clients all day long? I said, absolutely not. I get invigorated because I'm not teaching from a textbook. What I talk about is what I live. And by talking about it reaffirms for myself what to do. Cause you know, I get out of whack and out of balance myself and I have to counsel myself. It's always easier to take other people's advice than your own. But when I see my clients improving and becoming happier, then I say to myself, you know, you know that advice you just gave so-and-so? Uh, why don't you take that yourself today? And, <laughs> and, yeah. And you yeah, know sometimes what's we don't, I'm, I'm so, sorry. Go ahead. I, said so, I was just going to say sometimes we don't notice the wisdom that comes out of us when it's aimed at someone else, too, as you say. You know, that, that advice you gave somebody else is worth listening to by you as well. Yeah. And you know, one great example of how this works easily is I've always been an emotional leader. So, uh, a couple nights ago, I, I had eaten dinner and I was fine. And I wanted, I went back into the kitchen just out of habit to look for something. 
So mindful awareness says, you can eat whatever you want, Kevin, but are you hungry? And I said, well, I can't be hungry because I just ate like 20 minutes ago. So what's in the refrigerator that you want? It's not the food. What is it that you want? And I said, well, I'm bored. And I thought, okay, you're bored. There's this thousand things you can do. So why don't you pick one of them that you know you enjoy? And I just happened to buy a new Billie Holiday record album. And I put it on and I got a little glass of wine and I had a blast. So it was an easy step because I've repeated that over and over again, where before I would go into the refrigerator, stuff down my feelings, not deal with what was really eating me because of what, you know, it's not what you, it's what's, what's eating you. Right. Mm -hmm. And won. I won. I said, you know, I like Billy holiday. I just bought this record and I, I like an occasional glass of wine and um, I'm not going to eat. If I'm still hungry after Billy holiday, I'll go eat. But of course I wasn't. And, and that's how it works. And then you feel good. And then you get on the scale and the scale is less. And people ask you, Oh, what have you been doing? And all this stuff. So you can break your own habits, but it starts with realizing what we started talking about at the very beginning. You create this dream. I want to be thin. I want to be healthy. This, I feel myself being this. I don't feel myself being this negative, uh, broke, overweight, unsatisfied, in a, in a dysfunctional relationship with somebody else or myself. I deserve to be happy. And I can feel what that's like because I've been happy before. So I'm going to go get it. And, but the, the real trick is I'm not going to fight with myself. When the mind says, yeah, but you need to get, you know, stuffed. Say, we will later. Come on, you're, 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 on the, you're not driving the car, but get inside with me. Be kind to yourself. Don't, don't argue. It, your mind is just not going to shut up. Forget it. Your mind, you can never win, but you're quiet. All babies stop crying eventually. Sometimes you need to stick a pacifier in the mouth or something. <laughs> and then you like it. And then you say, okay, well, this is working. I like this. And yeah. And then it's back to, I feel better. Yeah, it's a new habit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like how this feels. I'll keep doing it. Yeah. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. That Wayne Dyer used to say. Yep. That's true. Yeah. Well, I wondered, since we have a couple minutes, if you might like to play us a little something to see us out for the hour. You know what came to mind? <laughs> don't, don't laugh when I tell you that. I'm going to play you a nursery rhyme. Excellent. Because uh, we learn the biggest wisdom in life when we're really young. And then we see The Wizard of Oz, and that's a big mystical movie. But this song about sums everything up. That's beautiful. Yeah, row, row your boat. Well, I think you've given us a lot to, to take in and consider as we row our boats. So thank you so much for spending oh, an hour with me. You're welcome. And if people want to get in touch, I, I guess uh, uh, kevinroth.org. All right. And uh, say hi. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Nice talking. That's this week's episode. Many thanks to Kevin Roth for joining me and sharing his music and to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I talk to people all the time who are feeling totally lost, overwhelmed, and stuck creatively. And I know there are lots more of you out there who are feeling the same way. So I made something to help. 
check out the link in your podcast app for my creative tune-up kit. It's 37 bucks, super affordable, and it's full of my favorite coaching tools to help you rediscover your creative self and make progress fast. I would love to get it into your hands so that you can get unstuck and create beautiful things this year. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. 